Faith is so exhausting. Uh, we find it all around us. Uh, we see it in the news. We see it in relationships. We see it in marketing and people trying to sell stuff. Uh, and we also see it in ourselves. And so this whole series is about identifying the fake in our lives, on the outside of our lives, and how to interact with that, how to process that through, how to avoid it. Uh, last week, we began talking about fake friends and how uh, we can experience that uh, on the receiving side, or we can actually be a fake friend, that uh, we're not genuine, that we're not really representing um, who we are. We try to hide behind it. Sometimes on Facebook, we see the stock picture or the stock family, and they look all together, and they look uh, you know, ideal, and we hear none of the bad things, all good things, and, and we walk away from that going, wow, if that's their life, and I look at my life, and my, I, I'm just, I'm just, my life stinks. And uh, then we realize that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, there's a little fakeness to that, because life isn't that good for everybody all the time. We all have our uh, valleys as well as the mountaintops. So, so we're walking through this, and again, we've, we started off last week uh, by looking at fake friends and, and how that plugs into our lives, and uh, when, when someone really is fake with us, uh, we've talked about the idea that uh, we can be friendly with people, that, that's one area out there, but then there are those that are our friends, and that's a whole different level, that's a whole different place, and when it comes to not those that we're friendly with, who sometimes, oh, that's a friend of mine, but no, it's really, you're just friendly with them. But when it comes to our friends, how we need to be transparent on both sides of that, how we need a two-way relationship. And last week, we, we started uh, trying to tie this with an extreme as we looked at uh, some of the contestants on American Idol and uh, seeing how they thought that they could sing really well and somehow they end up on stage because there's somebody who was inauthentic, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't really a good friend that actually said they could sing. Uh, sometimes those people have been family members. Sometimes those people were church members. Sometimes those people were who, you know, people at work, but the reality is they, they really couldn't sing because those people were being fake towards them. And uh, just to get us in the mood and in the spirit, we'll watch this young woman. Someone to look up to. Thank you. Randy. Maybe we're going to watch this I young woman. I don't think woman. that you're a solo singer at all. We'll try it again. Yeah, we can. Uh -oh. We are having excitement. This could be terrible. Yeah, it's a fake video. You just got to maybe take my. Oh, there she is. Thank you, Randy. I don't think that you're a solo singer at all. I think you're I'm more. I'm sorry. I don't feel that you're a solo singer. I don't feel that you have a solo singer's voice. <laughs> I'm quite sure I sing a whole lot better than you do. And for you to tell me I need lessons. Tamika, Tamika. Enough, 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 enough. Oh, I'm hurt. I'm hurt and I'm angry. I'm standing here being judged by people about how you sing. You're not singing, are you? And for you to tell me that I need lessons. Tamika, Tamika. 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 Go to an audition where they lie to you. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, no, I'm not about to go no. to an audition go, where go, they go lie there. to me. Yeah, we're telling go you there. the truth and you don't want to hear it. Go there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Moral of the story, warning, if you have fake friends and you think you can sing, you're going to end up on American Idol. So watch out for that, okay? That's an extreme. But often we've, we've confused the idea of what it really means to be a friend to someone. And I'm sure there are people in Tamika's life that, uh, that think she could sing or, or just didn't want to deal with it. So on her way, she went. And she lives in this falsehood because nobody would speak into her life. Or, which as we saw, the possibility also could be that she wasn't ready to listen to her friends in her life. Maybe somebody once told her she couldn't sing and she got that and she said, I'm never going to do that again. So sometimes you and I have fake friends that we've actually created in our life because we've sent the message, if they speak real honestly in our life, we're going to 
ignore them or we're going to get upset and mad at them. So then we train them never to be authentic in our lives again. So it can go, go both ways. Uh, last week, our bottom line was this. It's not in your notes. As it was already said, you can go back and listen to this. It's online. Uh, to stand up for your friend, to be loyal to a friend, to actually own a friendship sometimes means you need to stand up to your friend. Sometimes we have to do that. We, we get the other side, I'm loyal to my friend, but there's sometimes where we have to say, no, this is crazy, this doesn't work. No, you can't sing, or, or no, your attitude stinks. I, I actually, and this may sound a little weird, and it's just not because I'm a weird pastor, but I actually like having not a thousand friends like this, but, but I like having a few friends like this. I actually pray to have friends that will actually speak into my life because it's going to avoid some heartaches. It's going to save me from some things. So it's not that I try to avoid those people. I actually look forward to those people. I like having some people in my life that know me well enough that they see the course of my life going in a certain way, they will say something to me. Now, I'm married to one of those people, but, but I can't, I, I've, I've seen some people say, it's just my spouse. Well, that, that's really not fair to your spouse. It's not fair to say to your spouse, you're my only accountability person. You're the only person. That's really not, that's not fair. You need to have some other people around your life. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you, you give that right to somebody and they ruin that right. They tramp all over that right. But just because that happens doesn't mean you should say no to these kinds of friendships. We need to be that kind of friend. And we need to have those kinds of friends in our lives. That's why we need two-way friendship. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through uh, 2 Samuel. This is uh, about King David. And uh, King David, uh, you know, if you know the little story, this is the, the David and Goliath, a uh, famous King David. And uh, he had people in his life that would actually say things to him. And it was important for him to have these people in his life. And there's just one, we're going to look at two situations. We're going to look at this one situation from 2 Samuel uh, 24-2 right now. That's page 227 on that Bible you'll find around you. Again, as we said earlier, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. It's important for us to have access into the Bible, into these lessons. Uh, also, you can download the app, version and have it on your phone and tablet and such. So 2 Samuel 24-2, most of the verses will be up on the screen. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. Now, at first glance, this seems like a great idea. This seems like a fantastic idea. In certain circumstances, this might be a great idea. But it was going to take someone who knew David to know that for David in this moment of time, this was a bad idea. So his friend, his, his captain of the guard, his most number one military leader, Joab, says, but Joab replies to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over. May the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing. Now, why would Joab say that? Why would Joab think this is a bad idea? He knew David well enough that he read into this situation that the reason David was doing this was to subtly, softly transfer his trust in security for the kingdom from God to the amount of army he had. And so because Joab knew this, and again, Joab, it's kind of funny, Joab's a military guy. If anybody would say, yeah, let's see how many, you know, we have, you know, it would be Joab. But Joab knew what that meant for David. Now, sometimes it's good to count your military. Sometimes it's good to count and be very aware of your finances, let's say, because for us, that's sometimes equated to our security. But it's not good when it's, 
a symptom or a reflection that we're trusting in something else more than God. And so Joab stands up to him. Now, if you were to look at the two passages, there's actually this, this account is listed uh, here in another place in Scripture. In one place it says, uh, Satan the devil incited David to do this, and the other place it said God did, and we get a little confused by that. But I'll say this, God often puts tests in front of us. And those tests of a good teacher are designed to cause us to pass the test and grow. When Satan, the evil one, puts a test, whispers something, it's not for us to pass, it's for us to fail. So a lot of times in life, when we're going through a trial, when we're going through what we call a test, sometimes it feels like temptation, sometimes it feels like a trial, whatever it is, it really it matters at one level what it is, but it really mostly matters our response to it, how I'm going to respond to it. And so David has this moment where he can re-verify that he has a trust in God. And it's interesting because we, many of us know the story of David and Goliath. When he was a younger boy, he trusted in God. Now he's older, he's had great success as a king and all these kinds of things, and that's still kind of in there. Because no matter where you are at, no matter how close you are to God, no matter if you're just trying to figure things out or you, you, you think you've got things kind of figured out, there are moments where, where, where we drift a little bit. And so here's a moment where God wants to see if David's going to drift. You go through the Older Testament, you're going to find a lot of kings didn't finish well. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christ followers don't finish well. But fortunately for David, he has a guy, and this is a little, this is a little uneasy to stand up to the king, no matter how good friends you are. We've sometimes fantasized, we watch these, uh, you know, these president shows. I like a Madam Secretary you know, you know, they, you know, show, and every once in a while she's saying something to the president, and sometimes she calls him by her first name, and there was one time where something was going on, and she calls him by her first name, and he goes, that's Mr. President. You know, like, whoa, you can't, you know, this, this familiarity with me, even though we're friends. So, so you, just, you just never know what's going to go on as Joab speaks to King David. Because again, to stand up for your friend sometimes means you need to stand up to them. And we need to be a two-way friend where we can get that on the other side. So David responds, the king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. David doesn't pass the test. And uh, there are times where no matter who we are, we don't pass the test. Now, for David's situation, uh, there are great consequences. There are great consequences because he went and did this. Sometimes we like to think, no matter how little the situation is, that if I cross the line, if I kind of go in an opposite direction of the Lord's, if I do my own thing, you know, I'll just deal with the consequences. But the reality is, your life makes ripples. Your life touches other people's lives. And so the good things you do, the God-honoring things to do, the things that reflect that you're aligned with God's purposes, they have positive ripples. But even the little things you and I do or don't do or whatever has ripples on people's lives. That's, that's not to make us feel guilty. It's just to make us deal with something that's not fake. That, that's the truth. How you respond to your world, what you value, what I value, all those kinds of things all have ripples. So, so the king, he's king. He's a national leader. His ripples are bigger than our ripples. But it still doesn't mean that we don't have them. So we need to be aware of that. Said another way, we looked at this last week, and maybe, maybe King Solomon, uh, who's David's son, becomes king. Maybe even... He's thinking about these kinds of situations where he saw these things unfold. He writes, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. 
Words from a friend can be trusted. Wounds or wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. And that again, that idea is we want people in our lives that speak into our lives. Because we don't have them, it causes problems. And even though it may be uncomfortable, I'm sure King David did not like Joab saying, hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Have you thought that this is not a good idea? Tried to ignore me. Hey, wait a minute. In that moment, in that moment, stepped on David's toes. And And he had the power to ignore him. But that wasn't for the long run. We'll see. Well, we won't see. You can go ahead and read the story. You're going to see that it it was disastrous. It was disastrous. David aligning himself for his trust with his army alone uh, was not a good thing. And he paid the price. And people in his lives paid the price. Uh, last week, we talked, and this is just quick review. You don't have to write this stuff down. I don't really think there's room for it. Uh, what makes uh, two-way friendships so hard? We talked about a distorted view of nice. You can listen and find out all about that. We talked about a distorted view of responsibility. It's not my responsibility to say anything. Again, if they're really your friend, not an acquaintance, but your friend, uh, that, that changes. And distorted view of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Sometimes we hear this, don't judge, lest he be judged, and that gets thrown in our face, and that's not our intent. Well, sometimes it's our intent, but hopefully it's not your intent, and uh, we have a distorted view of that, so we back off, and that makes this, this all uh, so hard on the, on the receiving and giving side. Um, we also talked about why, uh, why we should even have two-way friendship in my, our lives. We've mentioned a little bit, obviously Jesus lived it, and uh, you can hear about that last week. Uh, love requires it when you really love somebody. You're going to step into their lives, uh, even though it's painful, even though it's uncomfortable. Your love uh, eclipses that uh, being outside of your comfort zone. Uh, sometimes I have to say something to somebody, uh, not because I want to, but because I should, and it's because I love them, so I, so I say it. I really don't like doing that, uh, you know, but uh, that's, that's what's required. And also growth forces it. Uh, we've talked about this in many venues. I meet tons of people, not in their 20s, not in their 30s, but in their 40s and 50s who haven't figured this out. And it causes all kinds of problems that they don't know how to speak with love and grace, which we talked about last week, into somebody's life when it seems like they're about ready to go off the rails. And, and at the same time, people in their 50s, 60s, and so on don't know how to receive that. Defense mechanisms go up immediately. Now, again, there's some people that have hidden agendas. I'm not talking about that. But in those situations where, where someone's trying to practice this or someone needs uh, a word of whatever, uh, most of us are not mature enough to handle the receiving of this or, or mature enough and savvy enough to know how to present it. And, and that, that's sad. I know when the kids were younger and had some issues, I may have mentioned this last week in high school, you, you know, I said, if the, it's not going to go well, I don't think, but this is the right way to do it. And at 17, 16, if you can figure out how to do this and get that working for you into your 20s, it's going to save you a lot of pain and hardship, and it's also going to help those around you because you're going to know how to be a good friend through, uh, through the good times but also the hard times because you're going to know how to interact and you're going to create good friendships. So uh, growth, uh, again, uh, forces it. Um, so today, so what makes... Uh, two-way love uh, or two-way friendship so helpful? What, what, what does that? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we take the need for this and how do we actually start flushing it out into our lives? Uh, a familiar passage, Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. We could spend an hour talking about that. Helpful. What you say has got to be helpful. 
It's the goal is not to put someone down. The goal is not to show that you're right and they're wrong. The goal is to be helpful. It's to build the other person up according to their needs, which also means, which also means you know the person well enough, you know their needs, you're sensitive to their needs, and you know what's going to cause them to be most receptive. And you, you study that. You think that through. It's just not about getting something off your chest so you feel better. I say this a lot, you know, uh, approach trumps content all the time. Approach trumps content all the time. It doesn't matter how accurate it is. If the approach doesn't work, the person hearing you just doesn't, doesn't hear you. So building up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Could you actually say that conversation you had, maybe on the way to church today, <laughs> that was a little harsh, actually benefited those who listened? Did they benefit the person you were speaking to directly? Did it benefit the three little kids in the back seat? I don't know. Did it? Did it not? Helpful. It's possible to have a two-way friendship that gets into the hard stuff that is actually helpful. The next verse uh, really concerns me. It says, in the same context, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That sealed for the day of redemption means that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, when you say yes to him, uh, God comes and joins your life as a part of your life, in a sense seals your life. So figuratively, when God looks down from heaven, he just doesn't see you. He sees his spirit, the Holy Spirit with you. So you've kind of got a badge on you so you know you're all set. That's, you know, that's the Dave Spencer theological version of what that means. But, but this idea of grieve, grieve. Bothers me that I could actually grieve God. It bothers me that I could grieve the Holy Spirit, that, 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 that God being a part of my life could go, ooh, could be grimacing, could be like, ooh, he just said that? He just thought that? Ooh, ooh, that, you know, that, that bothers me. And so why do we want to say what is helpful? Why do we want to say what benefits those who hear us? Not only for the situation, because as an observer, there's someone hearing exactly what we're saying. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. So that should kind of make us a little bit more aware. It should make us sit up and pay a little bit more attention when it comes to all of um, these ideas. So we're gonna, I'm going to give you a summary of uh, 2 Samuel 11, 27 through 12 in a little bit. Go over a history of little David about David, and then we're gonna get into probably his uh, most infamous um, failure. And uh, you know, sometimes we can sit on my, mighty uh, chairs and look down on him and go, "Wow, he really blew it." But uh, all of us aren't too far away from that. It only takes a few decisions to to be in the same place he is at. So. Just, just, a couple, just a couple reminders of who he was. King David loved a really uh, charmed life on one hand. It's very fascinating. He had a simple beginning. Uh, he grew up in a simple family with a simple childhood. Uh, he, was a, he grew up on a farm, shepherding, all these kinds of things, was the youngest of eight children. Uh, not really sure where it happened along the way, but somewhere in David's early uh, years in his life, uh, he turned his heart towards God where his heart was turned towards God. So he's prayed a lot. He spent time uh, reflecting on who God was. He wrote a lot of poetry, the Psalms. Some of those Psalms were written when he was out uh, tending sheep in the long nights. Uh, he had a lot of adventures. Uh, we've already mentioned the Goliath and uh, himself had taken out Goliath's story. Uh, so a lot of things uh, went on. And as time goes on, uh, a lot of things happen. Eventually, he finds himself uh, in the service of the king. He seems to be very successful. Uh, Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, is on his way out for various reasons. And uh, God has already told David that he'll be the next king. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, there's a lot of trials, but eventually he gets to the place where he's now king over the whole kingdom. Uh, he rules half of the kingdom for seven years, the whole kingdom for another 33 years. So his rule was about 40 years. And um, halfway through, quarter of the way through, 
uh, you know, things are going really well, and he has this moment. He has this moment where um, everything uh, just comes unglued, and it's because uh, he makes a number of uh, bad decisions. Again, everything was going his way. He's at the top of his game. Uh, life could not be any better until one uh, night, an attractive woman who was David's neighbor slipped into his house at his calling late in the evening and didn't come out until the next morning. Uh, it was a one-night stand. And uh, two facts about this uh, incident really complicate David's life uh, for the rest of the days is, first of all, his, uh, his neighbor's wife is, is now pregnant with his baby. And uh, she is married. Uh, she's married to a man who's in the military. And so then he tries to cover it up, does a bunch of things that are pretty clever, but it doesn't work. And he sends uh, this husband back into the battlefield and makes sure that Joab, who we mentioned later on, puts him in a place where it's more dangerous uh, so that uh, he'll get killed. And uh, he goes ahead and does that. And uh, David um, has his... Uh, one night stands husband murdered. And uh, so this is this guy. And uh, so uh, things came to come together. A uh, little while after the death, he takes uh, Bathsheba into her home as one of his wives and kind of settles down like uh, everything's okay. And he's made it through this uh, situation. Well, there's one other person that knows, besides a few others, that knows of what's happened, and that's Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was a prophet, was a godly man, was also uh, very familiar with the king, king's friend, and uh, he uh, has to uh, speak into um, the person's life. So he comes, and he comes to the king, and he tells a, a fantasy story about some great injustice that involves a poor shepherd and a sheep that they trot like a pet, and uh, the rich man in town uh, takes the little pet sheep and uh, uh, butchers it for one of uh, his banquet kinds of things and uh, how horrible that was. And so um, David hears this story by Nathaniel and uh, is outraged, outraged at how anyone could have done that. How could anyone do that? And then Nathaniel, probably with a little nervousness, said, you did that. You did the same thing. You did the same thing. And this time, David's response is repentance. This time, David says, I, 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 I did do that. He doesn't push through. He doesn't go his own way. He does that. But David needed a friend to do that. David needed somebody who knew how to speak to him. He needed to say something that was helpful and would be beneficial to that person who listened. It's interesting, you know, with Nathaniel, not only was there a friendship fracture on the, on the table, but his life was on the table. David very easily could have said, you know, don't ever bring that up again. If you do bring it up again, you're, you're, I'm, I'm done with you. But he doesn't do that. So, so how does that work? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge example. But I think how to be helpful, how to walk through that, there, there's some lessons in that story. So very quickly, we're going we're gonna to go through some of those, those ideas. So the, the first thing I think, I think we need to do is we need to be honest. There needs to be honesty. We, we, we need, to, need to really call what it, a thing is what it is. Uh, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's almost like an understatement. This whole scenario with uh, taking his neighbor's wife, having his neighbor's husband killed, and then acting like nothing wrong had happened. And again, well, what's amazing is, is, just, is David, David basically could marry and have anyone he wanted. He was the king, and he had a number of wives. And so when it comes to this whole idea of uh, fulfilling his sexual fantasies and all this kind of stuff, it's just crazy that, that he would go this route when everything was, was going well for him. 
Uh, there was an arrogance that got in. But, but the idea is that we've got to be honest with whatever the scenario is. L- last week we talked about this. We said, is the issue unbiblical? Is the issue unwise? Or is it unimportant? Or is it you? So when you and I get into these situations and we say, that thing in my friend doesn't smell right, doesn't seem right, or whatever. We need to slow down a little bit and ask ourselves, is it really outside of God's preferred will? Is it a legalistic thing? Is it a perception thing? What is it? Because sometimes, some of the horror stories we hear about these, hey, I was just trying to go to my friend and say this. When you really boil it down, the issue wasn't an issue. It was a manufactured thing. So again, that's one reason you need to know what God thinks about life, how God wants us to operate through life, how Jesus navigates through life, because then we can kind of figure out what is right and what is wrong. Again, it's not to be judgmental, but it's actually to be observant and call a spade a spade as we navigate through his life. Is this right? Is this something for me? If, if I'm trying to follow Christ, is this how I operate? Is this what I do? So we have to ask ourselves, is it unbiblical? And sometimes, you know, it may say, do wise things, be wise, use your brain. So we have to ask, is it unwise? It's, you know, some of these kinds of things do, you know, we've talked about this a little bit this summer. You know, do I lease a car, buy a car? You know, you, you know that, that you're not going to find a, oh, in Proverbs 3.27, it said, you know, you're not, not going to find that, but you can no, is it wise? And sometimes it might be wise in somebody else's situation and not wise in your situation. So you actually have to engage and think and be honest. Is it unimportant? May push your buttons, but it's unimportant. You have to ask yourselves. Sometimes maybe it's so unimportant that really you need to go to your friend and, and, and ask for forgiveness because you're the one being the jerk, even though they're bugging you. So it's unimportant. Or is it just you? So, so the first thing is you've got to be honest. When it came to the situation with David, there were, it, was, it was black and white. It was, there was no gray. There was no mess. But our lives, our lives today, what you're going through, what I'm going through, might be a little bit more murky when it comes to some of these things. So we need to slow down. And sometimes it's good to have a good friend, we talked about this before, who can help you be honest. There are some situations where I have a friend and I, I call him up and I go, I want to explain a scenario to you, but I want to explain it in such a way that I don't corrupt your answer or your thinking. Because believe it or not, I'm manipulative enough, enough that I can explain a story, explain a circumstance to get, and we talked about this before, the answer I want. And so a good, trusting friend who says, Dave's a pretty good guy. You know, he loves God. He's trying to do the right thing. Here's me print this story. He goes, he, he, he misses some motives in what I'm saying. So I've got a few friends, not many, where I can say, this is the dark underbelly of what I'm thinking. Here's some of the darkness in my soul. This is some of the motivations that no one would know except if I shared them with you because I've become sophisticated enough at living a Christian life that I can, I can act certain ways and nobody knows. Maybe Cindy knows, God definitely knows, but nobody else knows what's really the motivator in my life. So again, I want to have those kinds of friends aside so that I can figure this stuff out. So honesty, you get, you get the idea with that. Also, we need to make sure that we're enlisted. And what I mean by this is we need to make sure that God is putting this on the docket of our life. The Lord sent Nathaniel to David. When I go into one of these situations, I want to make sure that God has sent me. Not somebody else, not my, not my self-righteousness, not my just setting it right, not me just proving a point. I also don't want to use this as an excuse to get out of these conversations. Oh, I don't think God's sending me to do that. Uh, you know, my kid's doing this, and I, you know, no, that's not, you know. Hey, I, don't, I don't want to play games with that, come back to honesty all the way through, but I want to figure out if God is leading, directing me to do this, if he's enlisting me. I saw this verse last week, second part of it says, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of hopefully... <laughs> everything we do. 
especially in these areas, we want to make sure that he's the one leading us. So has he enlisted us? Has he led us? Is he a part of this? Or is it just us? There's been times in my life where something's going on and I feel because of who I am, I need to ride in there and set the record straight. It's more about my pride than, than, than God leading me. And there's been a few times where I've had to talk to leadership teams where I'm trying to have this conversation. I've had to say, I didn't have that conversation. And the part of me wants to say, wants just to have it so I can come back to my leadership team and say, I had it. I was the big boy. I said what had to be said. But occasionally, I'm not called to say anything. And occasionally, I've come back to the group I'm answering to and said, you know, I didn't do that. And they, and, but I want to, I'm out of pride, I want to say I did do it. And that becomes my only reason for doing it. And I go, well, wait, did God leave me? And I've had to say, you know, guys, I, I, I just didn't feel that, the, that God was leading me at this time to say that, even though two meetings ago I, I said I'm going to take care of this. And it's not because I'm wimping out. Yes, it's not because I'm wimping out. Sometimes it might be. It's, it's because I feel that God's not leading me to do that. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... That's bad stuff. That's stuff that's out of a line with God's uh, will. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, again, Spirit-led, Spirit-directed, should restore that person, not punish that person, not brutalize that person, not shame that person. You should restore that person gently. Nathanael's story was gentle. He knew how to get into the heart of David. Do you really know the people that are in your life, in your sphere of influence, close to you? Do you really know their hearts so you know how to approach a situation in their lives? Do you really know them? Do you listen to them? Do you hear how they would respond to something? Because you want to restore them. You want them to get into a place where this is not a big issue in their life. You want them to avoid the hassle. So restoration is your goal, not punishing, not anything else. You restore the person gently. But also watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Some people say tempted to the same thing. I've seen that happen. Or sometimes just tempted to think you're, you're God's gift to the planet. Like you're Mr. Super Spiritual Christian, and you just can answer all the questions. So you watch yourself that you may also be tempted because, again, you live by the Spirit. Next uh, part of being helpful is the location. <coughs> it's up close and personal. Up close and personal. Uh, we see that Nathan came to him. Now, that doesn't mean that a telephone call or a note or something like that is always off the table. But for me, at least, that's like way down my list of my approaches. I want to be up close and personal. I want to go to them. I want to be personal. That's a little more dangerous, a little more scary. Uh, there's some situations where you can't do that, but that, that's the first choice. I, I don't want to just have a text message. I don't want to just have an email. I, I want to be in contact with that person, so you go to that person. In Matthew 18, it's talking about the complexity of relationships and making things right. And it says, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he or she listens, you've made a friend. Or maybe we're going to say, you've kept a friend. Or maybe we're going to say, you've protected a friend. You go to that person between the two of you. And I'll, I'll tell you, this is risky stuff. So this last week, this is big boy stuff because it doesn't always go right. Most of the time, it doesn't go right. And you're like, oh, then I'm not doing this. 60, 70% of the time doesn't go right. But the times that it does go right are unbelievably good and satisfying. And I can even think of a couple situations this year where I went into them trying to follow these ideas Knees knocking behind my desk. Well, I don't sit behind my desk, but you know, I'm getting very nervous. And I, I, I felt led. And to my surprise, I mean surprise, God was doing something. 
And they listened and they responded. And, and I think we made things better. Unbelievable. It really worked. Not always, but it really worked. So, so you go to them, the location, personal. Um, so you're really communicating. There's a lot of nonverbal things that go on. Also, you make it palatable so they can actually put it in their mouth and taste it. You don't want to make it in such a way that they just spit out whatever you said to them. That's uh, Nathan's tactics. He, he, he sets it up. David eats it, swallows it, is engaged with it, gets it, and then he turns the tables, not to hurt David, but so that David would see. His goal is restoration. His goal is restoration. And, and David responds that way. You know, if, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you are godly or trying to walk in a godly way, it doesn't mean you're perfect, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful again not to fall into the temptation yourself. Quickly, some tips. Uh, before you go, be sure that you pray. That word prayer basically means just talk with God. So you're talking with God, you're going into this situation, and hopefully he's led you to that point, and now you're, okay, this is the moment, and, you, you know, and it's amazing. You think, this, you think I would, wouldn't have to remind myself of this, but I have these meetings, probably more than you guys get to have such a joy to have these meetings, but uh, yeah, these meetings and the ones where I kind of just have it intellectually figured out and I'm not in a spirit of prayer usually don't go so well, uh, but the ones where I've prayed and talked with the Lord as I'm going through it, even when I'm, sometimes I'm in a meeting and I'm like, in my brain, I'm going, ah, you know, you know, and the person out there like, oh, what's day? And I'm just like, you know, talking with the Lord. Oh, no, they just said that. I can't believe they said that. How do I, you know, you know, so I'm like having this conversation with the Lord while I'm having this conversation with a person. But uh, again, this idea of praying, being communion, being connection with God is, is just key. Go with a sense of brokenness, brokenheartedness. You're not happy. You're not delighted. It's not, I told you so. It's, it's, it, it, it breaks your heart. Not from a self-righteous, not from a, because I'm so perfect and you're so broken. But, but it's just, you, you, you're, you're broken by, by what they're about to face, what they're about to go into, whatever it is. Uh, you have that sense. Uh, you consider the timing. Ephesians will talk about, you know, don't let your anger set, you know, don't go to bed angry, basically. Um, I think the idea of that concept is not, not, you have to get it done before the, the, the um, clock strikes midnight. But the idea is you need to be timely. Don't put it off. Deal with it. But uh, consider the timing. Uh, there's great times to have these conversations. There's not good times to have these conversations. Um, just, uh, just even, for example, for my life, if, if you've got a big conflict with me and I've done something really terrible, which I can do, uh, the best time not to talk to me is like 10 minutes before I'm getting ready to speak. Uh, sometimes people like will lay things on me right then, and I'm trying to listen, trying to listen, trying to think about speaking, and it's just the wrong time. Well, you in your rhythm of life know when it's good for you to have those unpleasant, hard conversations. You also, if you know the person well enough, you know when they're ready. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about, I had, you know, three daughters, uh, and uh, they were all different. Uh, one, right before they went to bed was the time to talk to them. Another one, it was right in the moment was the time to talk to him. If I used the same approach to, with a different daughter, it didn't go so well. I just needed to know him. No one needed how to respond. Same is true uh, with our lives. Consider the timing. Stay away from accusing or condemning words, obviously. So you'll watch out for that. Uh, you're, not, you're not accusing them. You're not condemning them. Uh, you're, tr you're trying to help restore them. You're trying to be beneficial. Identify with the truth yourself, uh, continually try to have a humility that says, I don't have it all together. And that doesn't mean you make up stuff, because you probably don't have to make up stuff. You don't have it all together. And it may, be, it may not be the same, but, but you understand that. So you uh, let the person realize that you're in process, too. You're not all together. Uh, you're, you're figuring things out in life. And so, you know, again, this has the idea of these, uh, these tips. Also, you need to face it. Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Nathan faced it, uh, but it also is this idea of uh, him facing it, realizing he couldn't look the other way, um, and then it's the person receiving the information needs to face it. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, confront your neighbors directly so you'll not be held guilty for their crimes. 
that sounds a little harsh, but there are times where, where someone who's a friend in your life, close to your life, and God's led you to speak into their life, and you don't, you have a part in their problem because God had put you in a position to at least say something. How they respond is their deal, but, but you, you had a part in that, and, and you can be guilty for their actions when, when you look the other way and just say, I'm not getting involved. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, those kinds of things. Because, again, don't be misled. Uh, remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. And, again, that, that goes on both sides. Uh, you reap what you sow if you're the person delivering uh, the comments, the news, the restoration, or you're the person receiving it. Um, we go on and we read, But because by doing this you will have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And this sounds very harsh. You go, what's, what's this verse? This is the end story of David's sin with Bathsheba. And you say, this is unfair, this is whatever, and it, it seems unbearable, but, but there was a cost to, to his sin. And again, his cost, it affected him, but it didn't affect him like it affected that little boy, that little son. And so we got to remember, we got to face that there are consequences for our actions. Even when we're a part of this process, there are consequences. And the consequences, even when we make the right steps to make things right, the consequences don't disappear. They don't, like, evaporate. It used to drive me crazy uh, when the girls would uh, break something, do something, and they thought that the word sorry was this magical, like, Oh, I just broke that $100 thing. Sorry. Oh, it's okay now. You know, you know it just, there were still consequences. I know you're sorry. You better be sorry. But, uh, you, you know, but it wasn't just some hocus pocus. The, all the hurt, all the whatever just disappears. So there, there are consequences, and we need to, to face that. Also, this needs to be this idea of understanding. I love how David responds when he comes face to face this. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. That verse back there talked about having contempt for him. You know, you'd say, well, no, you've sinned against Uriah, you've sinned against Bathsheba, you've sinned against, first and foremost, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a God follower, you, you've sinned against him. And uh, he gets that. He gets that. So anytime you and I are involved in these situations, we have to understand, ultimately, it's a sin against God. It's, a, it's showing contempt for our creator uh, when we just blow him off and blow his ways and off and do our own, do our own thing. But it's also interesting, uh, Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin, you're not going to die. There's forgiveness, there's life after this. Uh, sometimes uh, the person presenting this news um, is more harsh than God himself, and God will forgive. And so likewise, we ought to forgive and be a part of that process. You see, God has given us the task of reconciling, of reconciling people to him, and this is a part of the process that uh, should be a part of our lives as Christ followers. Uh, we're going to jump along to long-term. Uh, this is another thing we need to think about, is sometimes we get this idea, if I say this to my friend, I drop the bomb, and then I leave. It, it really isn't supposed to work that way. It's supposed to be the fact that we go alongside. Um, it's interesting, in David's later life, uh, it's a situation where uh, he was cold all the time. He's now an old man, uh, moving towards 80, moving towards the end of his life. And they didn't have electric blankets back then. So what did they do? They went and found a beautiful young virgin, and she would sleep in bed with him and keep him warm. Sounds a little weird, but that's what they did. But it's interesting that it says this about King David. He says, The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. So over the long time of his life, this area of life that he had had some issues with, on the other side of it, was right. And, and he, he didn't, it didn't take those steps. So when you and I think about those people in our lives and we're trying to help them, it, it could take some time. We've got to walk through them, walk through it with them. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them up to their foot, feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. This doesn't mean enable somebody. It doesn't mean that. But it means that when someone really is working through someone, something and we come alongside, it's just not a one-and-done moment. 
Sometimes we have to walk through some deep waters with that person for some kind of time period. And if we're going to be helpful, we need to be in it for the long term. Again, this idea we've got to stand with our friends, but we also have to stand up to them. So this morning, I want to end with this thought. When it comes to this fake friendship and not being a fake friend, it means that we need to be one to make one. We need to be a genuine friend. We need to be a real friend. We need to speak into our friends' lives and also be ready for them to speak into our lives. And then when we are one, we make one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a tough subject. Some of us are thinking of situations even today where this is all in there. And I ask that you would help us to have the courage, have the love, follow your lead, to to not be a fake fake friend person, to, to actually say what needs to be said when it needs to be said by your leading. Help us to be helpful. And at the same time, may we be responsive So may it not be just a one-way street where we come in and we're helpful to others by saying these things and holding people accountable and speaking to their life. May it be a two-way situation where we're willing to let other people be helpful to us. Help us to make it easy for those speaking into our lives rather than difficult. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that... uh, it all comes together because of you working in our lives and uh, what, what a gift you are. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.